what I want to do is I want to pick up with the theme that I kind of touched on last week, which is that this is a season in which many of us have experienced some stress. There are stressors that happen in life for all of us. Things that happen that can bring stress to our lives. But I think there are also some things that we do that can either create stress or add to stress. There are people that, like, everywhere they go, they bring drama. Have you noticed that? Well, well, that's kind of what can happen in our own lives. If we're honest, we can actually create stress in our lives. And I talked last week about worry, where we're fretting constantly. We're always anxious about something, and then we wonder why we feel stressed. And we talked about that. Today, I want to talk about another kind of, of thing that we do that either creates or amplifies stress in our lives, and that's very simply busyness. Busyness. Oh, by the way, before I forget it, um, some of your children might have received some handouts when they came in, and one of those is called a bingo sheet. And, and no, they're not playing regular bingo. They're actually playing word bingo based upon what I say. So once they get all their words in a row, I don't know, I think it's like five in a row or something like that. Once they get all those words in a row, so you've got to listen carefully to the words I say, then they're to shout out bingo. My granddaughters are excited about that. <laughs> in some ways, I find this message kind of ironic. Um, how many of you can remember as a kid watching shows like The Jetsons? Any of you? I, they're not on anymore, are they? No. Or how many of you watched the show Star Trek? Or Flash Gordon? Flash Gordon. Do you know that the setting in which those shows happen is basically the times that we're living in? And they all evoked the idea that in the future we would have so much technology that we wouldn't have to work as hard. We could work less and we could be happier than we've ever been before. Uh, uh, a well-known British macroeconomic guy by the name of John Maynard Keyes wrote in 1930 an essay in which he postulated this idea. He said this, in 100 years, that, that's like pretty close to now, We've only got 10 years to make this happen, people. In 100 years, our work weeks will be 15 hours. And our biggest challenge in life will be battling boredom. Maybe during the pandemic, yes. But normally, come on. Uh, he suggested that scientists would come up with a vaccine that they could inject into people that would prolong their life for 150 years, and not just prolong their life, but would give them energy and vitality for all 150 years. I don't know what would happen at the 150-year mark. I think we all just keel over. But that was kind of what he postulated. <laughs> he said, wealth would increase for all, giving everyone much more free time for hobbies like, and you know where he's from, he's from Britain, hobbies like tennis, Cricket and fox hunting. I just, I'm looking forward to the fox hunting. And by the way, Tom, where's Tom? Tom, farming would be a rich man's hobby since all the food we eat would be created in labs synthetically. Ew. That was his projection. So, the way I want to start today is I want to um, give you a brief quiz. So, 
I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to write anything down. I just want you to answer in your own mind, okay? I love your green sticker, Jack. Great, great, right up on the head. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of the story that Max Lucado talks about, people with dots on their head. Um, my first question is this, and you're going you're gonna to take this simple six-question quiz and answer it yes or no. Do you feel like you're most often rushed and in a hurry? Don't answer, just in your mind. Do you feel like most often you're constantly having to hurry? Number two, is your to-do list never finished because you always keep adding to it? Do you use your days off to catch up with everything that you didn't get done during your regular days? Have people ever told you to slow down? Do you feel guilty when you relax? Do you have to get sick to actually take time off? My suggestion to you is, for many of us, three or four of those at least, our answer was yes. And I would suggest that that's not how God intended us to live our lives. Solomon, who was considered the wisest man who ever lived upon this planet other than Christ himself, Solomon said this, It's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. God wants His loved ones to get their proper rest. I have said for years, and I believe it to be true, that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. To get some rest. Many people think that if you give your life fully to God, He's going to give you more and more and more things to do. When I think, honestly, most often, the opposite is first true. When you give your life fully to God, the first thing He does is He begins to actually take some stuff away. Some stuff that have been chains of weight and burdens in your life. Um, the psalm that we have been looking at throughout this short time is Psalm 23. So if you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 23. Or you can turn there on your, in your Bibles or on your phones. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen. And it says this, Psalm 23 and verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still or quiet waters. Now I know that we don't live in an agrarian culture as was true in the day in which this psalm was written. But if you were a sheep, you would understand that what God has just pictured for you in this verse is paradise. It's paradise for a sheep. He leads me beside still waters, quiet waters. You don't have to worry about being rushed away in the current. He makes me lie down in green, verdant pastures. And the truth is, by the way, you are a sheep if you're a Christian, whether you know it or not. The Scripture tells us he is our God. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Every one of us is one of His sheep. And He says He's going to cause us to lie down in green pastures. Apparently, God is equally interested in our rest, in our rejuvenation. He wants to give us a full life, but a full life that is balanced. Not so that we're lazy and never do anything, but nor that we are constantly overworking and doing stuff in order to make ourselves feel better. A Gallup poll in April 2019 found that Americans are the most stressed people in the world. 
Think about it. Our claim to fame in the world is that we're the most stressed. A CNN poll recently said that 59% of all Americans would like to slow down and relax more, but they can't. A Harris poll said we have eight and a half more hours, or less hours, I'm sorry, eight and a half less hours of leisure time than we did just a decade ago, just 10 years ago. Contrary to the predictions that Maynard Keynes gave back in 1930, we're actually working more and enjoying life less. What I want to do today is I want to give you a prescription that I believe is biblical and spiritual for the stressors of busyness. That we actually can take a, 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 an inoculation, a vaccine, that can help us to deal with this one issue of stress in our life called busyness. And the way I want to do it is I want to take the word relax, and the kids will see that word at the top of their sheet. I want to take that word relax, and I'm going to make it an acronym. So each letter is going to represent something, okay? So as I go through, you can follow through, and you can know that each letter in the word relax is my actual point. So the first, number one, is the letter R. Realize my worth. I think the reason most people work so much and even overwork is they, and I want you to hear this, they confuse their work with their worth. They confuse their work with their worth. We think that if we work a whole lot and produce more, I must be worth more. We, we confuse what we do with who we really are. If we're honest, in our culture, the primary way that we gain our identity is by what we do. If you walk up to a person and you greet them, most often the first thing you do is you share names. What's your name? Where are you from? But somewhere in that conversation, you're going to ask them, what do you do? As if somehow what they do determines who they are. That's part of our American culture. And unfortunately, it has overflowed into the church all too often. Some of you uh, grew up regularly hearing the words, or at least conveyed by attitude, you'll never amount to much of anything. For myself, I regularly would hear my father say, can't you do anything right? The implication of that is, no matter what you touch, you're a failure. You will never amount to anything. And some of you, Understand that feeling. And you've carried that with you even into your Christian walk. So part of the reason we overwork is because we're trying to prove those voices in our heads wrong. I'll show them. You maybe never said those words, but that's what's going on up here. I'm going to show them that I'm worth something by how much I can do, how much I work, how much I produce. The antidote antidote is to understand and embrace what God says about you. James 1.18 says this, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be the most important of all the things he made. God says that you matter most in all of creation. No matter what you do in life, your worth doesn't change. It's not based upon your production, your productivity. It's based upon who God says you are. 
You don't have to prove your worth to anyone. You're worthy of honor. You're worthy of respect. You're worthy of love because you are made in God's image. Right now, I'd like you to just take a moment, if you would, and just kind of close your eyes. Bow your head, close your eyes. And I want you to take a deep breath. Breathe in and breathe out. And I want you to think, while you're doing this, about the fact that God has put His unconditional love and acceptance upon you. It doesn't matter whether you blew it today. Maybe you blew it with your children or your spouse. Or maybe just internally you feel like a complete failure today. Maybe you feel inside like, those voices are so loud I can barely hear you, Pastor. But I want you to hear the voice of God. I have chosen you. I chose you before you were even born. I have made you accepted. You're not acceptable because of yourself. You're acceptable because I made you acceptable. And I've adopted you into my family. No more need to scurry around trying to prove anything. Trying to gain people's approval. God chose you knowing everything there was to know about you. And He hasn't regretted His choice one second. You're His child. The sheep of His pasture. And the fact that He makes you to lie down isn't because you're a failure. It's because He loves you that much. He wants you to rest in His love. Just let that sink into your spirit for a second. You no longer need to gain the praise of people. You no longer need to fear their disapproval. Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's good news, people. That is great news. That's the gospel. You can open your eyes. Jesus said in Matthew 6, your heavenly Father feeds, He takes care of the sparrows, and how much more valuable are you? Think about it. Out of all of creation, the birds don't worry about anything. They're not fretting. They're not trying to earn any points. They are loved and accepted by God Himself. And they know their worth. I am convinced, the longer I live, of three things. I am convinced that in this life, we're never going to fully understand how much God really loves us. We get in part. We see in part, we know in part. We get it in tastes. And when it hits us, it's so overwhelming, we think we'll never go back. And then we fall back and He comes again. But I'm convinced, number one, we'll never, never fully understand how much God really loves us. Second thing I'm convinced of is that there is nothing we can ever do in this life that will make God love us more. He can't. He's God. He loves us with all of His God heart. If we can use those kinds of anthropomorphisms, applying human standards to God. The third thing is I am convinced there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. 
He is that committed to loving you every moment of every day. He said, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hand. You know, people get tattoos sometimes. I don't know if any of you guys have tattoos, but some do. Some have tattoos. And I have a friend who, I mean, his whole arm uh, is just like one big, uh, what's it called? Uh, a sleeve, right, of tattoos. Have you seen them? But one of the things he does is at the top, he, he's got the name of God written here. And it's kind of like his reminder of himself. God owns me. I'm his. Everything about me is his. But then we were talking together. He says, you know, more importantly, God tattooed me, my name, on his heart. That's what he did. He did it for you. So the, the first letter is R. We need to realize our worth in God. The second letter is E. We need to enjoy what we already have. Enjoy what we have. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, All of us should enjoy what we have. It's God's gift to us. It's so easy to get driven by the next need that we forget to enjoy what God has already given us. Uh, there's this syndrome that's called the, the, the desire to acquire. It's constantly having to get the latest and the greatest. You see it with your phones. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I have an Apple iWatch. Or what, what is this called? An Apple Watch, not an iWatch. Is that right? What's it called? What's it called? Apple Watch. Thank you. I've got this. I've got this not because I care about Apple Watches. I got this for my workouts. That's why I got it. So I didn't have to carry my phone with me. That's the only reason I got it. But you know, after I got this watch, a couple weeks later, they came out with a new model. Not how dare they... Why did I waste my time buying this old junk? I mean, it's, it's no good anymore. Barely keeps time. But that's what we do. The latest and greatest we've got to have. And what we had, I mean, that couch, that's perfectly good, but not any good anymore because my neighbor got a brand new couch. And did you feel the microfiber on it? It's so soft. I mean, you could sleep on that couch. And all of a sudden, your couch is no good anymore. I've, I've been thinking about getting a new bed because I have seen some new beds out there, some of those sleep comfort beds. Don't they seem like the commercials make it? Or, or what's the one out there? I'm thinking of it. Is it Prada? No, Prana. Prana. Is that right? Prana. That's what I need. I need that. Because when the guy on the commercial lays on the bed, he sinks down into it like, it, it just it envelops his body. So my bed's no good anymore. At the time I bought it, it was like, the, the salesman convinced us it was the best thing since sliced bread. It was good. Now, eh, not so much. But we do that, don't we? We don't even enjoy what we have because we're always looking for the next big, the next great thing. In the midst of all that's been going on with this pandemic, how many of you have been more and more grateful for the opportunity we have when we do have it to come together? But isn't it easy to kind of take it for granted sometimes? Like, yeah, I woke up today and I, yeah, my big toe hurt. And I don't know if I want to go to church because, you know, I, I didn't sleep great last night anyways. I, I didn't get to bed until, uh, it was after midnight. 
The fact that I was up watching the basketball game, that's not my fault. The game went late. So church, church, yeah, it's important, but. But during the pandemic, all of a sudden, it became really important to us, and we realized this is a gift from God to us. Your family is a gift from God to you. Your children. God himself is a gift to you. His presence in your life. We need to keep things in perspective. During this uh, pandemic, uh, most of you know we have the business over here uh, called the Warsaw Redemption Center. During this time, uh, we shut down for four weeks because we thought we had to, and then we were told we were an essential business. So we opened back up again. And we have been busier than we have ever been in the entire time we have been open as a business. It has been crazy busy. So busy that I've actually had to work out there. That's just not right. (laughs) And I found myself becoming a bit resentful and even angry about it. Because that's not what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to do with my life. It was only, and I I confess this, this is to my own chagrin, it was only about a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, I was out one night walking. It was like, it was a nice warm day, so late at night I like to go walking. I was out walking, and I found myself praying about the business and felt challenged by God to just say, thank you God that the business is doing so well that we have to work harder in order to accommodate all of our customers. It's a gift from God. We all can fall into this trap. I can and you can, where what we have, we don't appreciate. The most important things in life, though, that we have aren't things at all. They're people. They're the presence of God. They're His handiwork in our lives. The fact that He loves us and changes us from His Whoa, she got bingo. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've done a lot of funerals, and I've been at a lot of people's bedsides when they have died. And in all those years, I have never heard one person say, I wished I had worked more all my life. I have had people say to me, I wish I could heal this rift between me and my child. I wish it had never happened. I wish I had been able to say I love you to my spouse more. I wish I had known the presence of God more deeply. I've never had somebody say, you know, when I die, I want the hearse to pull that U-Haul with all my stuff in it because I'm taking it with me. Because you ain't taking it with you. Enjoy what you have. Got to move along. Uh, L, limit my labor. Okay, I got to go quick. I've got one minute. Limit my labor. L, we establish a schedule, including our work schedule, and we work our schedule. I know that there are times in which, because of an emergency, we have to work a little bit longer, a little bit harder. I understand that. But I think normally we need to keep our work schedule the way it is. Um, I know that over the years, 
some of you have been frustrated with me because you have tried to do an event, maybe a meeting on a Monday. You've called for a special meeting of the leadership even. I want to have a meeting, and Monday works good, and I don't come. And you've been offended. You've been upset with me. Why won't you come on Monday? Because years ago, my wife and I decided that Mondays was our date night. And for the sake of our marriage, we keep it. That doesn't mean there can't be exceptions every once in a while if it really is an emergency, something we agree on. But we have made that one of the priorities of our week. So I work during the week. I work hard. But I also make time for other things in my life that I think are important. Ecclesiastes 10.15 says, Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. If I'm always working, God says that's just dumb. One lady called her pastor on a Tuesday morning and said, I'm really upset with you. And he said, why? She said, I tried to call you all day Monday and you never answered the phone. He said, Monday's my day off and I don't take calls. She said, well, the devil never takes a day off. And he said, that's right. And if I worked on Monday on my day off, I'd look like the devil too. I would have said, I'd, no, I wouldn't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Exodus 29 says, you have six days in which to work, but the seventh day is a day of rest set aside for me. God put the day of rest so important, He puts it up there with murder. If you murder, you're breaking a commandment. If you don't keep that day of rest, the Sabbath day of rest, you actually are breaking His commandment. What should you do? Number one, rest your body. You need to take some rest. Everybody does once in a while. Our best requires some rest. Secondly, you need to recharge your emotions. People recharge differently. Some people recharge, um, if you're an extrovert, you like people, you recharge with people, getting together, parties. Some people, if you're like me, I like quiet time. I like just going out for walks. Just leave me alone. Other people want to uh, uh, do different events, different hobbies, and that recharges your batteries. Great. Whatever you need to do, you need to recharge your emotions. And finally, you need to refocus your spirit, which I think is speaking about our worship, which is why we come together on these kind of days. You know, during this pandemic, you might not realize this. How, how many of you watched online? Any of you? Okay. During the pandemic, how many of you have liked the worship? Okay. Do you know I haven't? Do you know why? While you've been at home able to actually hear the worship, there was no worship in the sanctuary. There was no singing in the sanctuary. It was all actually going out online. There was no sound here. So I could hear their mouths move. I could see their mouths move. But I couldn't hear anything. Today was the first time I've actually heard it. And I've missed it. And that's what we're to do. We're to come together on Sundays and we're actually to refocus our worship towards God. Letter A. I'm moving much quickly because I need to get done. Letter A. Adjust our values. Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, I have learned why people work so hard to succeed. It's because they envy the things their neighbors have. Thank you. Same for her. Did you say bingo? Two. Whoa, you held it. Good for you guys. They're listening. Is that 65-inch TV so important that you're willing to sacrifice your family 
to go to work, extra hours. I know you love that new car smell, but is it really worth losing your marriage over? That's the kind of thing that we do in order to get things. Mark 8.36, Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And my question for you today is very simply, is it worth it? Is what you're doing really worth it? Is it worth it for the kingdom? Not for politics, not for the government, not for your own personal agendas. Is it worth it for the kingdom of God? Every spring, my mother used to do what she called spring cleaning. I don't know if you guys do that here or not. She would go through the whole house, clean out closets that had collected clutter over the winter, clean out drawers, clean out cupboards. She cleaned the whole house from top to bottom every spring. Thank you. Again. And so, she would clean stuff out. I think there are times in our lives when we need to declutter a little bit in order to make more room for God and His kingdom in our lives. And finally, number five, we need to exchange our pressure for God's peace. I think once you've said it, that's enough. That's my granddaughter, by the way. She's smart. You may think that you need a vacation. How many of you think you need a vacation? You may think you need a vacation, but the truth is, a vacation isn't going to solve all your problems. Because when you come back home from your vacation, there they are. All the same stuff. You can't escape it. What we need to do is we need to make God the center of our lives and let Him deal with us as He pleases. Um, when my kids were little, when they were real little, we would lay them down in the afternoon and they would take naps. And that went to, I don't know, age three or four or five, somewhere like that. And then we found they began to resist taking a nap. And we realized that that resistance to rest was really a mark of immaturity. They needed to sleep because if they didn't, they would become really unpleasant later on in the day. Well, I think for some of us, we resist the same thing. We resist the idea that we need to rest in our lives. But we don't just rest physically. We rest in God and what He has for us. Psalm 23.2 says, He makes me to lie down. That implies some resistance on our part and some force on His part. But if you don't slow down, if you don't relax, God will find a way of making you lie down. And unfortunately, sometimes it's by putting you in the hospital or causing you to be sick. I'm not saying God brings sickness, but He allows stuff to come to your life in order to cause you to lie down. One of the paraphrases for Psalm 23 puts it this way, The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest at intervals. Every one of us needs a pace setter in our lives. Somebody who establishes the rhythm of our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. The load I give to you to carry is light. Are you stressed out during this time? Have you found yourself 
just weary of everything, frustrated with life, frustrated with the government, frustrated with the governor, frustrated with the president, frustrated with the church, with the leaders of the church, claiming everybody's walking the wrong way. Have you found yourself in Walmart wanting to yell at people for walking the wrong way? I mean, they've got arrows. Is that kind of what you've been feeling lately? I want to suggest to you that what God's saying to us is we need to relax. Realize our worth. Enjoy what we already have. Limit our labor. Adjust our values. And exchange our pressure for God's peace. The Message Bible puts Matthew, Matthew 11 this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God's call for us to relax. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for the time that we have had together. Together, together. Thank you for each one able to be here. And those that are at home, we pray equally that they would all know the blessing of your rest. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, uh, help us to pare away some of the busyness of our schedule the things we allow in our lives, whether through us or through our children or uh, grandchildren, help us to pare things back so that we can live a life that you have called us to live and not find stress being added to by our own busyness. We're asking for wisdom to be able to spring clean some things and take some of the clutter out of our lives. But most of all, we're asking for you to help us to draw nearer to you than to ever before and that we would know the presence of the living God on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. We commit our life to your care and pray, God, that you would cause us to know the blessing of the Lord which makes rich and brings no sorrow with it. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. See you next week in the same format. God bless you.